organist Mike LaDon started playing piano at the age of five, and by ten, he was gigging and teaching piano. His playing reflects his broad range of influences and what he learned from his long associations with Benny Goodman, Milt Jackson, Sonny Rollins, Art Farmer, Clifford Jordan, and countless other jazz greats. Mike absorbed and honors the lessons he learned from the early greats who influenced him, notably that the most important thing is the sound and swing of what one plays. Today is the second half of my conversation with Mike LaDon, recorded in New York City last month. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. From 1969 to 1996, Bradley's was one of the famous New York jazz piano rooms that all jazz musicians went to to hear the greatest piano-based duos playing. If they were lucky, a young pianist might be asked to sit in, which is what happened to Mike LaDon, which eventually led to his working there as a headliner. Yeah, getting to play there. I mean, wow. You know, you'd be playing, doing your best, because it was just duo, no drums. Right. Until the end. They had drums by the end, but basically it was duo. And as a young man, playing duo was really challenging for me. I I liked having the drums to sort of fill in all the empty gaps, Mm. you know, so... But I'd be in there playing my little duo stuff, and then you'd look over, and Ray Bryant would be sitting right next to you, and then Tommy Flanagan would be in there, and Freddie Hubbard, and Stanley Turrentine, and uh, Max Roach, and they'd they'd all be in there, you know. And it's and you're and you're just trying not to look, and just keep your head down and hope for the best. <laughs> That's how I felt most of the time, and sometimes I won, and sometimes I lost, but. I'll tell you, it was six nights of that. You know, you started at 10, 15, and you went to three every night. And by the end of that week, you were dead. Yeah. I mean, just dead. I, I Even as a young man, I was only in my 20s, but it would just rock me, yeah. you know? And But it was a great a great experience, and it mm. gets, gets you over. I mean, Ahmad Jamal would come in. People that would just scare the daylights out. Or like at one point, I was really into Cedar Walton, and he was a huge influence, and then he'd be there. And it's like, what am I going to do now? I can't play my Cedar Walton stuff. <laughs> He's right there. You know, yeah. So, yeah, these kinds of things, you know, it helps you to get stronger and to grow and also to realize that this is New York City. Mm, yeah. And why New York City is so important to this music because all of that, the best of everything of this music is here and it always has been, mm-hmm. you know, and, it, and I don't know if it always will be, but. You know, when when we came, it was tough. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that great Ed Koch line that I love. If you're one in a million, there's 10 of you in New York. <laughs> that's right. And it, and <laughs> it really is because I, I think that you, <laughs> you can't, well, it, unless you're insane, you can't get arrogant because no, you, there's, there's, arrogant. there's all these other people that oh, are yeah. doing it and you think you've really got it together. Yeah. And then you hear somebody else who's doing it and... And and having to play for those people and having to survive, you know, to no. see one of them walk in and think, I don't want to see those people. I'd rather not know them. I know. <laughs> They're in the audience. I tell my friends not to sit in front. I don't want to be distracted. Exactly. exactly. I don't want to see any I remember, of that. you know, I moved here. Mulgrew Miller moved here like a year after I did. And James Williams moved here a year before I did. And uh, no, I'm sorry. He moved here after I did too. But I was really friends with James Williams in school. I met him in Boston. And James was a huge figure in my life, too, because 
believe it or not, we played basketball together oh, in Boston. Really? Yeah, not that I was any great athlete or anything, but for some reason, I remember this friend of mine who was a drummer, he said, I'm playing basketball with James Williams, and if you want to get to know these people, you better come and play some basketball. No, so I'm like, sports okay. Sports is great. <clears throat> so I went, and I, I don't know if I, what I did, but anyway, we got to be friends. And James was always very supportive mm. and nice and sweet to me. Mm. And so um, when he came to New York, and he was already getting over you know, he already was working with Art Farmer and stuff like mm. that. So when he came to New York, he would come to my apartment and we'd hang out, listen to records and stuff. And he said, if I can ever do anything for you, I'm going to do it. You know, a lot of people say that kind of stuff when you're hanging out, yeah. you're best buds, but then it all goes away. But James Williams delivered because in 1988, when he was working with Art Farmer and Milt Jackson, and he couldn't make the gigs because he was getting super busy on his own. He called me and said, and he would send me cassette tapes of their gigs. And he'd say, I want you to fill in for me on Art Farmer's gig, and I'm going to put your name in with Milt Jackson. And he sent you cassettes <clears> of the gigs so you could listen so to it? So I could it? listen to the music and oh, get it together. Oh, that's so deep. Because he wanted me to succeed. Yeah, he didn't just send me in like, all right, good luck, kid. No, that's really generous. He wanted me. This is what he was like. And so wow. um, as a result, I wound up working with Art Farmer and Milt Jackson. And, uh, and Milt Jackson wound up being a major major gig for me because I lasted till he died. I mean, I was with him for 11 years. And um, James always joked with me because he'd say, you know, yeah, I sent you in as a sub and now I'm your sub. <laughs> but he was just really too busy to do all the gigs. That's why I was there. But Milt Jackson's gig was something that I was prepared for because that was my favorite band in the world. Milt Jackson, Cedar, uh, Ray Brown, and either Higgins, Billy Higgins, or Mickey Roker. I'd see them... Every single time they were at the Vanguard, every night, I'd go because I loved Cedar to death and I loved Bags. And you couldn't do better than Ray Brown and Billy Higgins or with, with Mickey Roker. So the swing was unbelievable. And so when, when, when Jane, he said, I know you love Milt Jackson and I'm going to send you in to this gig. It was in Philly at a place called Jewels, which was a little dumpy little place. I couldn't believe Bags was playing there. But I was so nervous, even though I knew the music. I mean, this was Cedar's gig. You know, the guy that I idolized. No, it's, it's, I, I'm nervous hearing about it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm walking in and I'm the only white dude, of course. And it's bags. And it's like, these are the real dudes. You know, these aren't some kids. So I'm just hoping to God that I, you know, I knew the tunes, sat down, we played the first night. And bags was kind of quiet, you know, during the gig. And I thought, oh, he hates me. This is, I'm not doing well. You know, so when we got to the end of the night, I went over to him and I said, and I started to say, I'm sorry, you know, I'll try and do better tomorrow night. And he reached over and hugged me and said, loved it, loved it. Beautiful. You know, and the next day, this is a special day in my life. We went to eat. It was a, I, that was a Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Mickey Roker's wife, T made a huge spread for us at her house. It had everything. I mean, like, you know, prime rib, ham, all this stuff you know, all kinds of food on the table. So I walked in, Bob Cranshaw and I were immediately good friends and him and Mickey really liked me. So when I walked in with Bob, Bag said, your ears must be burning or must be ringing or whatever it is. And I said, why? He said, cause we're all talking about you. We want you to be in the group, in the band permanently. Oh, I that's said, great. yeah, it was like, uh, you know, talk about, uh, you doesn't get any better. No, it doesn't. I was just flabbergasted and scared because <laughs> like, okay, I fooled him one night. Now I have to do it. Could I keep doing it every night? <laughs> so, you know, and that's where we went. I, I, and that's all thanks to my friend James Williams. 
My guest, pianist Mike LaDawn with Milt Jackson on Oh Lady Be Good. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. My own personal thing that I'm kind of obsessed with, of the sound of it and the piano players that can carry it off, or in your case, an organist in the, the track I want to talk about, mm-hmm. is when you're playing with a band and um, you know everything's screaming and it's all there and then the band drops out mm-hmm. and all you have is the piano player. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot to keep it going, to keep the time going, the feel going, the swing going, and all mm-hmm. of that. And on your tune, and you wrote this one as well, mm-hmm. yeah. and um, Bob Salit, which I also like. <laughs> Talk about that and just just doing something like that. I love it. Not a lot of people do it. And it's so this particular track just blew my my what. hair turned curly. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I can see that. Um, well, what did possess me to do that? I have no idea what possessed me to do that, but... Um, and it keeps going, which is so cool. It's not just a few measures of this. You no, might, I really get into you it. You really go. But, you know, I guess it's because uh, with the organ, it can, get, it can get cluttered with all the other stuff going on. You don't really hear all of that, you know, like, and I've started doing it live performances because I wanted the people to see me like switching sounds. Yeah. And, and what it takes to really keep that I'm doing all that. Right. Because you might not notice you know, that the organ player is actually keeping all the time with the walking bass and soloing and comping and changing sounds, all of the complicated stuff that just sort of happens. If you're a good organ player, nobody should notice. Really. Right. It should just happen as a, organically as if, uh, you know, you're, you're just uh, singing or something, mm-hmm. you know, this is natural. Mm-hmm. But um, I liked doing it because it also gives me a, time to, a chance to bring the organ down in volume and sort of suck the people in, mm-hmm. bring them into the organ. That's what I learned from, I guess I, I really got the idea from Lonnie Smith, Dr. Lonnie, because that's what he did for me. Mm. He, he, above, more than anyone else, when I would go see Dr. Lonnie, he sucked me into the organ sound. He would, he's a sound man, you know? He's into sounds, and he creates a lot of sounds out of that instrument. But he, he drew me in just to hearing the organ. Other people... Would, would bowl me over with the groove or with just the power. Mm. But Lonnie, so they would blow me away, but Lonnie sucked me in, you know? And he, I was almost like my, my head was in the speaker listening in a whole different way. He opened up my ears to the sounds more. So that's what I try to do with the uh, solo organ stuff, even if it's really fast. And plus, it's, it's a, you know, a good spectacle to see somebody playing that fast, you know, and keeping it going yeah. and stuff. And um, and I, you know, I can do it. I don't, I don't know where that comes from. It's, it's really a uh, from my childhood. I guess it just doesn't feel. It's not hard for you know. It's, it's not that hard for you to keep that all going. No, because I, I, I hear it. Mm. You know, and once you hear it, mm-hmm. um, it's just natural. It just comes out, and you don't have to think like, well, you know, one two three four, one two three four. <laughs> <laughs> and what's that change there? And <laughs> It just all sort of comes out as natural as we're speaking. Mm-hmm. As you know, I mean, you do the same thing. Yeah. So it's just music. It's, 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 in a, it's, it's like language. It just comes out once you get it together.
guest, organist Mike Ledon, with his Groover Quartet, on his composition, Bop Sunglit, from his CD, The Groover, with Peter Bernstein, Eric Alexander, and Joe Farnsworth. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I commented to Mike that I particularly like his extended right-hand solo on this track. The thing that I, I enjoy about it is it gives me a break from having to pump so hard too with the band all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can just, whew, and then I can I can get in some different sounds mm-hmm. and change the vibe. And then when I come back in, it's very exciting for the for the audience. And exactly. This, this is part of um, you know the entertainment part of of music as but, well as the as the mu- keeping the music substantive. Well, yeah, and changing the textures. But I'm also thinking what what I'm connecting with is you saying to let the audience know what you're doing because you're right. To them, it's it's a wall of sound. Yeah. For most of them, they're not picking out that the organ's doing this and this and no. this, nor should they. They right. should just be hooked in. But it's really nice to all of a sudden go, oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was so many people come up to me afterwards and say, are you playing the bass? And yes, I'm playing the bass. I can't. How do you do that? Yeah. You know, and that's what you were saying before about so many people have told you they don't really like jazz, but they like you. Exactly. You know, and uh, with this particular group, with the Groover Quartet, which is my organ band for the past 20 years, um, that's what I get all the time because we started out just doing five weeks at Smoke uh, as a sort of a trial of how organ night would go. And I, I put my organ in there, my Hammond organ in there. I remember this. You I remember this? when you first really? went there. I do. I wow. do. And I remember it was a trial. Yeah. That it, yeah. We were seeing going. how it goes. And, um, and I had the people coming in, and I didn't know. I was really feeling it out. Like, what do I do? What kind mm. of music do I play? Where? What direction am I going to go? Do I go like Jimmy Smith? Do I go Larry Young? You know, somewhere in the middle. I mean, I loved Charles Erland. I loved, uh, you know, Shirley Scott and um, uh, Jack McDuff and all of the greats, uh, um, uh, Groove Holmes and all these people. So, you know, I'm just sitting there trying to figure it out. And then I realized one day that it was mainly in those days was Columbia students coming in there, young students. There was no cover, and they were just coming in to hang, and the organ was kind of like party time for them because it was electric, and they could relate to it mm. more than a piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I started playing these pop tunes like um, by the people that I grew up with, like Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Sly and the Family Stone, and uh, Michael Jackson, who I didn't grow up with, but I knew that these were melodies that they would know. Mm, and mm-hmm. then I started just swinging them instead of playing them with a 
instead of doing a cover with a mm-hmm, kind of a mm-hmm. fake pop groove played by a jazz drummer, mm-hmm. I, uh, I played him as jazz. And instead of, in other words, as pop music always borrowed from jazz and, and, and made all the money borrowing right. stuff. Right. I borrowed. I borrowed. I took the pop and made it into jazz. <laughs> right. <laughs> I took well, it the other way. You were and, the original postmodern jukebox. You were actually so. doing it before they were taking I, popular tunes and making it jazz. Right. I, yeah. I don't even know what that is, but that is this thing that's become really popular. I thought you might not because yeah. I just found out. But they take popular tunes, and the guy in his case, he's. Like they dress up in twenties outfits oh. and they sort of do it as a jazz thing, but you oh. were taking it, right? Frankly, right. in my opinion, doing a hipper version. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So you know, but I that's mean, that's fascinating, and they really related with it. They and then liked I started. It. Then the place started getting packed because it was pretty empty. We was a lot of candles, empty candles, and empty tables in that night when we started. But then we started getting an audience, and um, lo and behold. It really caught on, and we. And made how our, many years has it been now? It's we're going on our twentieth. Yeah. So yeah, and it still gets packed, and um, and we have a whole lot of stuff. I mean, now we go on tour, and we made a whole bunch of records, and I'm really excited about one thing. Uh, in February, I'm going to make a big band plus Groover Quartet record um, that someone's funding, and that's going to be awesome. And we're doing it at Rudy Van Gelder's. Oh. Yeah, I mean that's because I grew up listening to those Jimmy Smith with big band records right and it is such an incredible sound so i have someone writing the arrangements right now and we're going to do this thing incredibly exciting it is very exciting i can't wait to do it you know and i've got some you've got the tunes and so that's coming up but um anyway so yeah we went into this we went into this thing not really knowing what to do and then i found this path as as uh someone told me clifford jordan told me because I was with Clifford Jordan with Art Farmer, and he was also a close friend and a really wise man. And, you know, he once told me, you know, it was like, you're going to find that there's a path for you. And if you could just get your ego out of the way mm. and, and just follow the path, don't worry about it. Don't worry about what other people tell you or don't think about what you're supposed to be doing. Just go down the path. See how it goes. And, and path of least resistance. Like, mm. it's obvious this is what works. Just do it. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I did. And it, it did work. And it, and it and thank God for it because it doubled my work. And it gave me a whole new lease on life, really. I mean, without the organ, I'd be working half as much.
My guest, pianist, organist Mike LaDon, with his Groover Quartet on This Will Be. Mike talked to me about his different attitudes towards playing organ versus playing piano. I've been playing with Benny Golston for over 20 years now. Mm. He's never heard me play the organ. You know, Milt Jackson never heard me play the organ. There are people who still don't have don't know me as an organ player at all. And to them, it's still kind of like, wow, one day I'm going to come and check you out. I hear you play the organ. But, <laughs> like but it's this little thing you do on the side. Yeah, like a hobby. Exactly. That's well, funny. that's how I kind of look at it in a way. I mean, really? I always did. That's why I didn't come out as an organ player uh, earlier, because, you know, there were great organ players around like Joey different young guys, like yeah, Joey D, yeah. who's fantastic, and Larry Goldings. And, you know, they were real serious into it. And piano had always been my main way to make source of, of music. Mm. And I played the organ at home. In fact, Hashim and I used to play. When mm. I used to live in Connecticut, he'd come over and play. But, you know, I didn't want it to become as serious as do. I didn't want to get into this, like, oh, who's the best? And, you know, Isn't into this competitive. I just wanted to enjoy the organ, because well, I did enjoy it. that's why there's so much passion for it, because you had that attitude about maybe it. Maybe so. And I still kind of do. I don't like to think of myself as on... And funny thing is, just because I don't see myself that way, now I'm on the poles and the downbeat poles and stuff. As an you organist. Know, as an organist. Never as a pianist. I've never been in a downbeat pole once in my life as a pianist, which is not surprising, because neither was Harold Mayburn or Cedar Walton well, or Mulgrew Miller. No, and there you until go. Until they died. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's ridiculous. So... I, you know, but that's the world over there with downbeat. It doesn't make sense, and who cares? But the organ thing, I just wanted it to be nice and fun and something I enjoyed, and this, it is. And that's what I. It's very hard to play, though. <laughs> it is no. It's not like I just sit down and it's like. Uh, I just love that. I want to just be fun yeah. and lots of this, but it's really hard to play. It is because it's relentless. I yeah. mean, you're just pounding the beat every single. And when I watch Charles Erlin. You know, a lot of people don't know about Charles Erlin. He wasn't a harmonic heavyweight, but he was a swing heavyweight, you know. And his beat, when you'd see him live, there was nobody who could outswing Charles Erlin. Charles Erlin on More Today Than Yesterday. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired.
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to podcasts of Jazz Inspired on Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts. And email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stride Queen. We're funded primarily by your donations, so please visit jazzinspired.com to chip in. No gift is too small. 2020 marks our 20th year, and we need your support to make it all happen. Thank you. I'm talking to Mike LaDon about one of his favorite organists, Charles Erlen. He just put that beat in you, and you'd feel like you couldn't help but smile, and you just couldn't get enough. It was addictive. Mm. It was like crack. <laughs> it was just like, I want more, more, more. Give me more. Yeah. And so <laughs> he was a big influence in that way on me. And when, I, and when we would play his bass lines, his whole, he was a big dude, you know, his heavy set. He'd be sweating profusely, and he'd be shaking his head on the back and forth on the beat, no matter what tempo it was, with, and every part of his energy and spirit went into every beat, one, two, three, four, every tune for the entire tune. And yeah, I'd be watching him and thinking, like, that's got to be exhausting. <laughs> How do you do that? you got to be a Superman to do that. But that's what I... Um, that's what I took as my foundation for how I want it to feel when I play organ. Mm. Uh, not necessarily my harmonic thing. But, but how you want it, but the swing. But the swing. That's I want thing. that heavy, I want heavy swing. And that's what I love when organ players do that, too.
guest, Mike Ladon on organ on Then Came You. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Mike LaDon's daughter Mary was born with multiple disabilities, a fact that Mike feels ultimately, in his words, changed him and his life for the better. Six years ago, Mike started the Disability Pride Parade in New York City that now attracts 10,000 people every July. Mary started to speak at the age when other children do, but after multiple necessary brain surgeries, she became nonverbal. At first, Mike and his wife didn't know how to communicate with Mary, but did discover she loved music. No matter how long Mike practiced, Mary would sit next to him and listen. Here are two movements from Mike's composition, Sweet Mary which he played for Mary almost every day for years. The first is called Listen, honoring their communication through music. The second is called Play, an improvisation on Listen that ties into its melody at the end of the tune.
things that we talked about earlier that I think for me, because I'm such a fan of yours, that gives such depth to your playing. Because I'm a bopper. People don't think it. I love Bud Powell. I love all that stuff. I don't play it. It's what I play at home. I mean, I love, I mean, it's what I I turn on. I love that stuff. And some of my favorite pianists were the older guys that I know you also love that that they weren't stride piano players but they grew up listening to that they mm-hmm. knew it which is in my opinion what made Tommy Flanagan such a beautiful solo player Ellis Larkins or Hank yeah. Jones these guys I know you love too right and you being much younger than they you still went through that period you know that and yeah. that's in there even when you're playing 
your swinging, screaming mm-hmm. bebop. Mm-hmm. That depth is in there. Thank you. And I think a lot of people haven't even listened to that or haven't, you know, that are playing, they'll just, they just go, they tap into it way later. They just, yeah. they go right to Herbie Hancock right. or something. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and speak to that. I just think that's a part of your of your playing that I really well, love. I think it's because of my journey with widespread. I mean, some people would be embarrassed about widespread. They would say, oh, God, a bunch of young white guys playing swing music. Like, how corny can you get? You know, what, what were you doing that was cutting edge, that was changing the, you know, we weren't even thinking like that. But at all, we were just happy to be playing stuff. So um, I was, and once you get into, and, and it took that to suck me into that. But I think it took the band to suck me back into the history like that. But that history taught me about what swing was, you know, because swing, it's the same swing from Bud Powell to Herbie Hancock mm-hmm. to, you know, Chick Corea. If, if it's swinging, it's that same swing. And that, that feeling of swing to me, that's what jazz. That's that's, that's the foundation. That's the core. That's the heart. You know, there's a lot of branches off the tree that have grown. The grown the, the tree is gigantic right now, and there's a zillion branches off the tree. But the roots of the tree are what I got from going through playing with Benny Goodman, being around Roy Eldridge and playing with him, and being with all those guys from Jimmy Ryan's and Eddie Condon's. Is that they taught me this? This was that they pounded in my head as a as a kid was like you'd never sacrifice the swing for your ideas, ever, because we don't care about your ideas. We care about your swing, you know, and blues and the feeling underneath the notes. That's what we're listening for. That's why you're going to get a gig. That's what's going to do it for you, you know. So this is what I – that was my training ground, and this was my priority, and this was – this is not a priority anymore. So, um, in fact, I hate to say it, but – I really believe now swing uh, for a youngster to be into swing they're they're going to be the isolated cult mm, guy people mm, on the side mm. you know and there's a lot of them there's a lot of them out here because I teach I, I teach and I I know that they're out here in mm-hmm. hordes they love swing they love all of that stuff mm-hmm. but this is not what the trendsetters want right know? They they don't want that, and if you they hear swing right away, you just okay. Next, what else we got? <laughs> That's how it is now. But I'm saying how opposite it is from what I came up in. Oh yeah, no, no, I know they want so, it. If it didn't swing, it didn't have meaning. You could, and we're not saying work. swing like swing music. We mean the music no, has to swing. swing the, the, yeah, the verb. It's got to have the noun. The, right. So, exactly. So like you know, um, you could actually get hurt. People would get could beat you up on the break if you didn't swing. Mm. I mean, you would get fired. Mm-hmm. You'd certainly get a, a, a tongue lashing mm-hmm. if you didn't swing. If you and if you came in there just playing like, if a tenor player came in just playing Coltrane licks and didn't swing, he was known as a booger bear. You know that's the, where I learned that term back then. And I think the guy sounded good. I'd be like, oh, he says like Coltrane. He, you know, not really, but it's, I hear Coltrane right. and, and the other guys, the older guys, would come and say, that's a booger bear. Get him out of here. We never want to hear him again ever. You know, wow. it's like, that's hardcore. That is hardcore. <clears throat> but these are the guys, I mean, that that created the music. So I'm not saying this from learning it in books or my own philosophy or my own ego. This is what I was taught from the masters. And this is who what invented this, jazz. Who inge- invented jazz. And, you know, Phil Woods is the one who said that jazz, it's a tribal music. It's not something that you learn at college. It's 
it's handed down from the elders and it's handed down like this by osmosis, by being around it, by having the elders teach you mm. what's going on. So I was uh, very fortunate to do that. And I had that kind of apprenticeship, like a classic apprenticeship with my elders. And right from going from Benny Goodman through Milt Jackson and even over to Bobby Hutcherson and George Coleman, all of those people really why I got the gig is because they could hear it. Like you're talking about mm -hmm. the underlying uh, foundation, the anchor is swing. It's rhythm. So rhythm and sound is what it's all about. And that's why it doesn't matter what genre you play of jazz. You know, it doesn't matter like if you're uh, into, into new or old or in the middle or, or breaking the envelope open or just enjoying being part of whatever it is you do. Mm -hmm. If the rhythm and sound is is in the ballpark of what mm -hmm. jazz is about, then you're, you're, you've done it. You know, you've succeeded. And this is what people hear, general people. That's why I have a gig at Smoke for 20 years. They're not coming to hear me play anything in particular. But the rhythm, that goes into people, you know, and the sound. So if you're swinging, I had a great thing happen the other day. There's a, a DJ from um, Sirius Satellite Radio. His name is David Ruffin. I and, know him. You know David? Yeah. So David is a friend. He stopped me. I was just walking by. I was walking in that neighborhood. And there he was on the sidewalk. He goes, Mike Ladon, I got to tell you this story. It seemed, and this is a great story. He said, my son, his son was like 22, was having a date. So his girlfriend came over and he wanted, David wanted to meet the girlfriend before they went out. And so he asked, he asked uh, his son, he said, so what are you guys going to do? And the girlfriend spoke right up. She goes, I want to go see Mike Ladon. This guy, Mike Ladon at Smoke. <laughs> great and, and he was like really she said yeah i think that's really the most fun to go see mike ladon at smoke or something like that and i said really and she was 22 years old so that's success and that's rhythm getting out into the people because it's fun you know and it if you're going to have if you're going to deliver it's what bird did right i mean yeah i know it delivers he, and it makes not people that i'm feel like good. bird in any way but no but it makes it's how it makes us feel it's what gets people over it's, it's what gets people into the music and keeps them there it's, eddie Locke told me a great drummer i played with coleman hawkins for years and was my one of my mentors and and just like my second dad he told me that his brother was a factory worker in detroit who didn't care about jazz at all and this is what we were talking about before but he loved bird you know and when Bird was in town, he, his brother could care less if Eddie was playing or anybody else. But if Bird was in town, his brother get dressed up. I'm going to see Bird tonight. And it was just, and it was just because Bird didn't seem like jazz to his brother. Interesting. Bird just, Bird just seemed like good, good vibe all the way through. You know, he didn't that. even hear all of the depth of harmony. Could care less about, you know, it how just he touched him. It just the music on a real basic level, and that's what you know. That to me is the highest. The highest mountain you can get to is to transcend all of the intellect and the virtuosity and all the stuff we work on so hard, the math, and just have it come out to be good feeling that goes into people, even though it's deep, you know, they don't even know it's deep. It's just going in and they're just like, I love this and I'm going to come see it again because that's what brings them back.
Mike LaDon, we did it. It has been a long time since we've seen each other. I know. I'm so glad you got in touch. Absolutely. I'm coming to smoke. I hear this 22-year-old says it's really good. (laughs) I I remember talking about it because I remember we didn't talk about it. We remember Mike Hashman, we keep mentioning, talking about that this was going to happen. That's why I remember that. It was, how is this going to go over? And and that the beginning of that. Yeah. But I just, it was so much fun. And Mm. hearing you talk about all this with such passion and getting to see you again. Well, I've always loved your playing and I I admire your uh, dedication to you know, what you do. And um, I, I've just always enjoyed seeing you and I wish I could see you more. So well, we're going to make it happen. Yeah. Thank okay. you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the second half of my conversation with Mike LaDon. I hope you join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidoff. You can download free podcasts of Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired from all the usual podcast platforms or listen at jazzinspired.com. For more information on the Disability Pride Parade, visit disabilitypridenyc.org. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with my Cashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons. We're funded primarily by your donations, so please visit jazzinspired.com to chip in and keep us on air. Any amount is appreciated. And 2020 marks our 20th year, and we need your support to make it all happen. Thank you. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Stride Queen. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is also sponsored in part by Page at 63 Main in Sag Harbor, New York, serving organic microgreens and vegetables grown on their own energy-efficient indoor and outdoor aquaponic farms. Better taste, happier planet. Visit page at 63main at opentable.com. And for more information, visit jazzinspired.com or judycarmichael.com.